You're listening to the Connecting with Purpose podcast at Covenant Health with Chris and Daniel, a podcast where Covenant caregivers can connect with executive leaders on healthcare hot topics in the Texas, New Mexico region. All right. Hey, welcome to Connecting with Purpose podcast. This is Chris Lancaster. I've got Daniel in here with us. And and we're excited today. Uh, Daniel's going to kind of tee up uh, a little bit more about what we've been doing in this workplace violence uh, series. But today we have our very own Lindsey Timberlake uh, in-house counsel for us. And so this is going to be a great kind of wrap up to the conversation that we've had so far. But we've been blessed to have Lindsey a part of this organization. And I'm excited to hear her kind of give uh, from an organizational perspective, just what does that look like? Uh, how should we be thinking about things as an, as an organization? How do we protect our, our caregivers? But Lindsay, let's just start with a little bit more about you before we get into that. Um, maybe just tell us a little bit about how did you decide to go to law school to become an attorney? Uh, more specifically, you know, why healthcare? There's a lot of different things you can do as an attorney. Uh, and then maybe even a little bit about why, why here? Why, why Lubbock? Thanks for having me, Chris. Daniel, I'm glad to be here. Um, So I am probably a little bit different than most attorneys. I think the healthcare part of it came first and the law school came second for me, which is um, Mm -hmm. outside the order of of most people who end up in the law, I think. And so I was, after college, um, not going to go to med school, but didn't know what I wanted to be when I I grew up, um, but was a biology major. And so I went to public health school and did a practicum in Western Africa and got really interested in healthcare as a human right. And so that uh, started taking even courses within the public health realm that talked about the law as it relates to healthcare and access to healthcare. So that's what ultimately led to law school. So I always knew I wanted to do law in the healthcare sector um, and went into law school knowing that. Um, so that's sort of the why law, why healthcare portion of it. And then I grew up in West Texas, uh, was born in the tower that was torn down <laughs> and um, had a mother in healthcare. Um, she was the surgical pharmacist at, at Covenant um, for 27 years. And so at Methodist and then Covenant. So um, always loved being around healthcare um, and, and appreciated all aspects of medicine, but really found my groove with um, sort of understanding how I could improve um, access and and the operations of healthcare through legal support. Well, very cool. And before I tee it over to Daniel, I just want to say that you're uh, the best attorney that I've worked with. And, uh, you know, your passion for healthcare in, in a lot of times we say, hey, attorney, I just need your advice um, uh, legally. I don't need your operational advice. But with you, it's, Lindsay, hey, I need your operational advice. Help me think through uh, from your lens h- how we need to structure this thing. And so it's just very refreshing, and uh, you've got a true passion for the work that's done here and are always thinking about how the decisions that we're making impact our patients. And so that that's just hard to come by unfortunately, uh, but it has made you a really valuable member of our team and our executive team. And so, uh, and thank you for what you've, what you've done for us. So Daniel, 
just tell us, t- tie some of this together for us and kind of set the stage for the perspective that Lindsay can bring to this conversation. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and I agree with Chris. You're not just, you know, the best attorney I've ever worked with. You are the hippest attorney that I've worked oh, with, which right. I, I've also said, she's a hip gal. So <laughs> Thank you, Daniel. You bet. You, you bet, know, Lynn. they say they ha- I have the face for radio. <laughs> so, <laughs> awesome. Being called hip, it's yeah. just, you know, the, the yeah. top for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, we have recorded quite a few episodes about workplace violence, and um, some have been, um, okay, we got a workplace violence committee, and here's some work that we've done, and here's how you could be a part of that. Uh, some of the episodes, or at least one of the episodes, has been, okay, uh, we got an expert here. And they're going to talk about things you need to learn, things you need to be aware of, classes that are available. We've also had um, a psychologist here, um, a therapist here, who talked about, okay, this is what's real for people as they experience that. Um, this This is what a leader should be thinking of as they support somebody through this. And then we've had some uh, personal accounts of people who've actually experienced workplace violence. So it's, it's, it's been a long series and it, it needed to be a long series because it's probably one of the most important topics that we have when it comes to our people in, in healthcare. And so, you know, I, I think the first question uh, that I, I, I've talked a little bit about this uh, with you, and, and I think I know where you're going to go with it, but you might surprise me. That's the fun of this, right? Um, is that an organization has an obligation to create an environment for its people's people that are employees, right? And its patrons, the, the people that seek their services and the people that are with them who seek their services. And when I look at this, I, I see um, healthcare different than a lot of other industries. Because if, if somebody comes into your you know, place of business and... I would say the kids 10 years ago would say, you're acting a fool. You know, um, (laughs) if they were acting a fool, uh, you know, in another industry, you just kick them out. You just say, you can't be here, but you don't have that right to do that in healthcare. Right. And, and you already said like, this is a human right for people to have human healthcare access to human healthcare. And there's multiple reasons why they can, a patient or a family member can get violent, mm-hmm. but there's an, there's an obligation and a responsibility to treat people in need. And there's also an obligation for organizations to create a safe environment. And sometimes those things collide. Mm-hmm. And so I'd love to get uh, your just kind of take on, on what an organization's responsibility is um, from a physical safety standpoint, from a psychological safety standpoint. See if we're kind of starting, I hate to say check the box, but are we, are we at least thinking through a lot of the things that are out there? Do we, do we have some infrastructure? Yeah, we can improve. Um, I'll, I'll say that up front. But are we, are we starting to take the right steps especially since, you know, uh, 2020 and COVID where this really got escalated. Uh, I, I think that's where I'd like to start. So, Lindsay, pass it over to you. Thanks, Daniel. I feel like you've pretty much hit on all the points in your questions, stem there, so I'm not really <laughs> going to bring anything to the table here. But um, I think what you raise about healthcare and um, how unique it is in this um, when you're talking a- about workplace safety um, 
is really important, right? Um, because you're absolutely right. Um, when somebody is violent in any other industry, um, it's sort of really clear, like they're not welcome, right? Um, but with healthcare, not only um, is it that there are multiple reasons why someone gets violent, but very often the violence is part and parcel to the reason they need health care in the first place. Um, and so you can't really just take that out of the analysis of what's, how do you respond in that situation? Um, it is, is part of it. And so um, I think we're always trying to strike that delicate balance, right? Um, we think about like the role that we have or I specifically have and Chris has is a little bit different than yours probably even, but the role that we have in healthcare um, is not direct patient care, right? When we think about how do we make this better? How do we live out our values? We think about it from the perspective of how do we make it a best, the best workplace for the caregivers themselves so that they can provide good care. So from our perspective, we're always trying to think about the safety of our caregivers first, but they themselves have, have been called to a job and a, and a life and a living out purpose that is just the opposite. They're thinking about how, how do I make the, the life, the health of the person in front of me better? And so trying to to balance those things is really difficult sometimes in, in, in a really, I would say, vulnerable population. You know, for the most part, um, the people who exhibit violence don't do so from a conscientious intent driven purpose. Um, some do, and that's a different scenario. Um, but it is just sort of how the the disease itself is manifesting. And so what we're always trying to think about is if we can't keep our caregivers safe, there's not going to be caregivers left to provide that care. So first and foremost, we have to make it a place where they feel supported and safe. Because if you don't feel safe at work, no matter how much you love your job, there's only so much time before you can't stay at that job, just from a, a living perspective. So we we have to think about um, how we help somebody live out the mission and values of our organization and care for our neighbor, even the most difficult and vulnerable of the neighbor, um, but also remember that without their safety, without their security, without their mental and physical health and emotional health, they can't keep doing that. There's not going to be anyone left to provide that care to the poor and vulnerable. So I think from our perspective, it's um, there. I, I sort of see it globally. Safety is global. And then I think for the exercise you've been doing, you're seeing it on, a, on an individual level, on a personal level, which is important, right? And so the things that you're doing correct and the, why you're on the right path is that you are doing a deep dive on this topic, right? It's, um, it's a, an important topic. It's gotten more important as, um, you know, people have been more isolated over the last two years and mental health um, needs have spiked. Um, but people are also exhausted that have been on the front lines um, of caregiving. And so th you're you're also thinking about, well, how do we how do we deal with that exhaustion so that they feel renewed and restored? Um, because it's sort of, you know, you've got the two peaks of things and it's a perfect storm. And so we are learning in real time how to deal with these things and see you have to keep talking about them is what I would say um, is the only wisdom I bring to the table is um, never get tired of talking about it and, and hearing the perspective of the people who are dealing with it um, in really 
like very real and tangible ways um, because they're the ones that that bring the most wisdom. I can tell you, you know, these are the tools, the legal tools we have to protect you. I can tell you, you know, this is how we should train people and we should follow policy and we should review our policies and all these sort of legal aspects. But I think there's no sense in talking about those things if you're not informed by the real life experience of what's happening on the ground. Um, so from my perspective, um, yes, we have to, to listen to what's happening and then think about, okay, what are the tools that we can use, whether they're legal driven, policy driven, um, training driven, um, and probably all of those things at once. Right. Um, but how do we go about, um, taking what the information we're take intake and then coming up with ideas and, and thoughts a, about how to best equip people to de-escalate, um, to uh, remain safe and do the best that they can and know when, when you know, it's not going to be a safe situation anymore and there's nothing more that can be done in that moment. Um, so I think from that perspective, we're always trying to get better and sometimes we do things that don't work and then we got to go back to the drawing table. So I think, you know, being a, a, a lifelong learner and never resting on your laurels is just part and parcel to this topic. Um, so I, I think being open to what people have to say and, and doing our best to to ease the way of caregivers that are dealing with it is, is what we have to do. Uh, thanks, Lindsay. I, I really like just the overview of what we're experiencing. It, you're really um, hitting a bullseye here, I, I think, in, in just the efforts. I, I, I wonder if we zoom in on a topic, especially um, with your expertise here. I've, I've heard you talk about this, or I think I've heard you talk about this before. Maybe I like made it up, but... Uh, I, I want to take something kind of practical and it's something that everyone in hospitals and on, honestly during this pandemic ex got exposed to it's you must put on a mask right so if you don't put on a mask I'm going to tell you to put on a mask and if I tell you to put on the mask and you're somewhat rational you'll put it on but if it's a bad day which a lot of people are having when they walk into the hospital Right. And I tell you to put on a mask and you say, you can't tell me what to do. Then we're in a we're in a spot where it's like, OK, this could escalate. Right. And I think most I, I think about our screeners at the front door. Right. They're going, hey, could you put on a mask, put on a mask, put on a mask. I was I was there just uh, the other day and and somebody said, do I have to? And uh, they were like, well, it's, it's highly recommended. And, and they went, okay, so I don't have to, right? And so, like, you really have to get pushy. And if you get pushy, you're automatically escalating. If you escalate, you cr create possible, you know, workplace uh, violence or kind of scenario. So if, if, if you had to, uh, you know, live in that day in and day out, um, I, I believe I've heard you say like, hey, in my opinion, I would argue that there's more of a workplace violence issue here than a, a, a masking policy issue here and that we could create more harm to the people around us than if, if we let somebody walk around without a mask. And so like tell me how you, I, I, I believe that was your conclusion that I'm, that I'm kind of coming through. And I, and I thought that is 
the most brilliant thing that I've heard in this whole masking uh, debate. But could you kind of talk about how you came to that conclusion? And, um, you know, I, I think it points to something uh, of, hey, we got to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's where workplace violence eventually leads us to. But would you talk a little bit about that logic? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, don't get the infectious disease people after me, um, <laughs> when this is done. But um, so, yes, I think you whenever you have a policy, um, even the most well-intended policy, you think about there has to be goals behind it. Right. There are goals um, of what you're trying to achieve with that. And I think, you know, with masking in particular for anecdotal purposes, Daniel, um, that the 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 reason behind that is a good one. It's a public health one, right? Which is part of my background. Um, it's an idea of doing something, taking a small step, and ha- implementing a policy that is a step that creates um, safety on a mass scale, right? Um, and so, and sometimes it's it's just a mitigating factor. We know that now, right? It, it's a mitigation strategy to create general safety for our patients, for our caregivers, that's that's the purpose of the masking policy. Um, but you're always trying to balance that against the individual scenario, right? Um, this is sort of getting philosophical, which the, the legal world likes to do, all those philosophy students at law school, um, which is sort of, you know, you're, you have, um, this is what the law requires, um, but if we implement it to its fullest degree right here, it puts this specific person in harm's way. And so what do you choose? Do you choose implementation of a rule or a policy, or do you choose the safety of the specific individual in that scenario? Um, I can't affect the compliance of every single person. I've seen it. Um, it's impossible. And, and there are very ingrained um, and emotional responses to this topic. Um, but I think we can be mindful of how we affect that one individual um, who who could experience something traumatic and just take them out of that scenario, um, to be honest with you. I, I think um, because that making the decision to not ask them to escalate it past a point where they're now in harm's way is more important to me um, than thinking about implementing a rule for the sake of implementing a rule. But on the flip side of that, you think about, okay, but what are the repercussions of of not requiring it and not enforcing it and not escalating it to a, a place of high emotion? You see that person walk through the hallway and and I see it and I think, well, that person's walking through the hallway without it, right? So um, so I can work, walk through the hallway without it. So, um, and then you start to lose the, the sort of um, mass protection that the masking policy was intended to, to do in the first place. Um, it doesn't change my mind about that one individual, right, um, who I don't want to, to be in harm's way for the sake of, of enforcement. Um, but I do think that on a global scale, you take that anecdote and you take it into the community with law enforcement, that changes very quickly, right? And so um, I, I, I guess there's no per- perfect answer to this is what I would say. It's always um, 
situational and you're, you're trying to figure out um, are the gains of what I'm trying to do with this more important than what I can save on the other side of it. And in this case, given um, who, we, who it is in the face of these individuals who are at the front lines of this, interacting with people every day, um, my heart is with them to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, and, and and it's so important to me. I think we can can do other things to mitigate the safety of our patients and caregivers, um, even beyond that moment when we say, you know what, let them go. That's not, that's not for you. Um, you don't have to escalate it to that point of, of potential harm. Well, Lindsay, I disagree with you on one thing. There is a perfect answer. I think you just really kind of gave it. Um, and the perfect answer is that each situation is different. And as humans, as adults, as responsible caregivers, you'll know when you need to push a little bit and you'll know when you need to back off a little bit. Right. And, and we want our people to be empowered to use their minds. Policies and guidelines are there to guide us to the best possible solution. But you also got to know, Hey, I got to get out of this, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I sense that people look for that black and white answer often, especially on these kind of things. Mm -hmm. Like we, we're going to put a policy in place. So it's black and white. It reads exactly this way. And at least what I've, I've experienced with, um, most attorneys, um, is there's not too many things that are really that black and white. There's a lot more things that need to be de debated out and that we need to look at this situation individually. And how does that compare mm -hmm. to things that historically that we've done and, and historical decisions that we put in place? And how do we still use um, things that are one off that drive us into the best possible solution? It's, it's this, you always got to be fighting to do the right thing at the right time with the right people and you'll know when it's starting to feel wrong and that's when you de-escalate and back off, you know? And yeah. it, I mean, well, it, Chris, what are your thoughts yeah, on that? Yeah, I guess, um, Lindsay, when, because in healthcare, right, as Daniel's kind of mentioned, we're, we got a lot of rule followers and as an industry for, for really good purposes, we're, it's like the checklist manifesto, right? I mean, we have, we have tried to standardize the protocol as much as we can if I'm a caregiver, though, and I'm listening to this and I'm this rule follower going, look, I, I follow what you guys tell me to do. I know there's a, a um, maybe a concern or a fear sometimes about being able to speak up. I mean, ha how are folks covered when faced with this decision of in this situation, I felt like I needed to do this? And, and I think about a joint commission survey or something where we've got to come back and give a explanation as to why we, mm -hmm. why we, why do we vary from the policy? I mean, maybe speak to what that looks like to, if I'm a caregiver, what, what freedom do I have in that? You guys are telling me like, okay, I don't have to follow protocols. Great. Yeah. Policies are off. Yeah. Yes. yeah. So where's the yeah. balance in that? Like as a caregiver on like, Hey, am I, you guys are telling me I need to do this, but you're telling me I need to follow this policy too. What's, what's that look like? Um, man, Chris, that's that's tough to be one one clear way. I would say for that caregiver um, who is doing their best to follow protocol, follow the rules, implement the rules, and and you know, sort of hold other people accountable to those rules. That's that's always a good thing from my perspective. It, it promotes the exact thing that we want it to, which is you know, good quality. Um, 
safety, uh, patient safety from the perspective of the delivery of healthcare, right? And so those are the aims and the goals of those things. And so where the workplace violence now creeps into that is at some point the, the upholding of those things that are intended to be driving the quality of care and the safety of the care provided start to jeopardize the safety of the and the autonomy of the individual. Um, that's that's where I think we're talking about de-escalation, right? We're, we're not talking about throw the policy out the window. Nobody has to do it now. We don't have to do those protocols. It's more of just recognizing me forcing this in this moment creates more potential for harm than the safety and quality the policy was intended to produce in the first place. And I know that's really hard and hard to, to recognize those moments and to ask the individual caregiver to recognize them. So I think what what I'm trying to say is, yes, from my perspective, when the Joint Commission comes in and we have a policy that we're not following or implementing, that's a risk to us organizationally. And so my what I think I've always said is find find a, a way to implement policy in accordance with law that you're willing to follow <laughs> to the best of your ability in most situations, because your vulnerability is the weakness in not following a policy as written. So sometimes that means changing the policy, mm-hmm. right? And updating it to um, changes in, in the environment or changes in um, the evolution of, of how things have gone in facing a pandemic. Um, and so those types of things, I think I support the caregiver who is trying to do the right thing, follow protocol, follow policy. But my message to them as a lawyer and as a human is don't do that to the point that it jeopardizes your health and safety. Um, One more question from my standpoint. But uh, as we're talking about supporting caregivers, I know you kind of teed up early on in this that, yeah, we could get into some specifics, but let's if we don't have the right culture. But I I do want to. When we're talking about supporting caregivers, I mean, let's talk practically for a little bit when some of these things do happen. And I know this doesn't always come up through your channel. We'll kind of Mm -hmm. have other people from a risk standpoint kind of follow up on the aftermath of some of these things. But in terms of the support for caregivers, like when we have situations that happen, you know, post those, we've got questions like, are you going to press charges on this individual? What, how am I protected in this? What happens for me? Um... Any thoughts on like, hey, just when you've been involved in some of these kind of posts, what's that look like? Mm-hmm. How have we come alongside caregivers to navigate after we have an mm-hmm. unfortunate incident? What, what's that look like in terms of supporting our caregivers? So I think um, the support I give is the least of those, but I'll tell you <laughs> from my perspective. So yes, I, I think in a um, in those scenarios, all those questions generally is. It, when it gets to the point of something that's escalated to a harm event has happened with a caregiver, um, that always encouraging and cooperating with law enforcement is first and foremost, right? It, in With the balance of like, you know, we, we as legal, the legal team ensure we have the proper things, um, right? Like um, to release certain information because we're always striking a balance on protecting the information of our patients and the privacy. And, and those things are important too. But but we follow legal processes to support the caregiver. And so I would say from, from my perspective, what I would see as support for the caregiver is if they 
they want to pursue pressing charges, let's say, because they have been harmed and it's um, and, and law enforcement is supportive of them doing that. So are we. And the reason that we are is because, um, like I said, the mental and emotional um, health of the caregiver is so important that they have to feel safe in that environment. And part of being safe in that environment is knowing that we are going to support them pursuing a remedy through the law, the, the criminal legal system too. Um, and that could come in the form of talking through it with them, preparing them for what they might have to do if they do go through with that. Um, from like just a, you know, most people, the large majority of us never have to be part of a, a system where you go to a courtroom or you give testimony in a grand jury. So just understanding those things and providing sort of some expectations and reassurance in those things are things we can do to support them. But from the perspective of, of resources, man, the people you've already talked to are the, the keys to that, right? Giving them the emotional um, support to process through that so that they can get back to a healthy place. Um, I think we have really good counselors um, and availability of those kinds of resources. Giving them a safe space to talk about how they feel and what they think what they think we can do to make it safer for them and their and their peers and. It, so that they don't face that sort of scenario again. Um, and that we are always looking for ways to to support them and meet those needs. Um, and then from my perspective, I'm always coming at it from, okay, these are the resources available to us in the community. This is how I can help you connect to those. Um, and this is how we can change what we're doing, um, the policy, the workflow of how it goes to mitigate risk going forward. You know, there's a, a couple of things uh, that you've we've said here, and I just want to call them out because I, I think there's some great wisdom, uh, especially as we're wrapping this podcast up um, or, or this this series up. You know, advice as a human and as an attorney. If there's something that puts you at risk or puts you individually in an unsafe place, like. Mm-hmm. Don't don't take on unnecessary risk. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I heard that very clearly, and I think you said it better. So we'll have to rewind that and and see. Well, okay, what did she really say there? Um, but but there are times where you recognize that if I follow through with an expectation, um, it could it could put me in harm's way. I would I would think soldiers deal with that mm-hmm. a lot, and uh, we don't need to take on unnecessary risk. Number two is we got to take care of our our caregivers because if we don't there won't be any left mm-hmm. to do this work mm-hmm. and so we we have to find a way um, to continue to fight um, for them and then number three and, and this might be a little bit more abstract or at least what I heard is when you're writing a policy you need to consider putting in some kind of language in your policy that says if things get escalated we would expect you to de-escalate the situation mm-hmm. and then and then reset the goals or reset the conversation, elevate it to a leader. Because I don't think our, our policies just kind of say, like, this is how we will behave. Mm-hmm. And this is how we expect everybody else to behave on our property, mm-hmm. right? And if you don't, then you either get counseling because you're an employee or we, we trespass you or, or, or something like that, right? We do, we do something. This, these are the rules. If you don't follow them, this is what happens. But the reality is that we don't put anything in our policies about it's okay to de-escalate, to allow a moment to pass. And if that moment passes, uh, then what do you do 
to escalate that concern mm -hmm. to your leader, to your supervisor? How, how does that become something that we can support them on? Because I think as, you know, I guess the term senior leaders or administration or, you know, even, you know, the one-up leaders, they want to support these caregivers because we have to have a healthcare system. So um, I, I think there's three nuggets, at least that I took away mm -hmm. being part of the series that I really appreciate your wisdom and logic and just talking through this with us. Um, Chris, anything that, that you'd like to add to that? I, I don't think so. I mean, Lindsay, anything that you think is just important for caregivers to, to think about as we kind of wrap this up? So I think we historically sort of had very, like, pockets of where we saw the skill of de-escalation to be important historically. Um, and we we had like categories of policies, right? That it made sense to say like once you get to this point, if even if you have to, you know, deviate from policy f to get out of a, of a an unsafe situation, that makes sense. But the sort of the the expansion of that in the last few years to to cover greeters and people um, who aren't always patient facing. Um, I mean, I feel like. At this point, I'm glad you're really thinking about the resources that are available and putting them out there for every level of caregiver because it's no longer just specific pockets. Those pockets still exist where they're more likely to happen, but de-escalation as a skill set is something that I think we all as humans need now. Um, and so from my perspective, I, I think what I would say to all caregivers is um, if there's, you know, if there's a training available that just gives you a better life skill um, and you don't necessarily think, well, my job's not going to require that, but it's a life skill <laughs> that helps you de-escalate a situation, whether it's, you know, at, you know, United <laughs> or at work, those are great things. And if we're offering them, take them because um, they're going to prove important in, in much more areas of your life than even just at work now. Um, so I would encourage people to, to gain new skill sets, even if they think that it's not their day-to-day -day work necessarily. Um, and then I would also say that, um, you know, there are some policies that in, in procedures in healthcare that really aren't ever going to meet this crux, right, of, of situation where I had to not follow that policy because I was you know, going to get hurt. Um, so I, I just want to say, like, there's still, those things are still important. What we do and the things that we put into place and the expectations, we're not throwing all, all of those out the window. We're just being mindful of the, the nature of when they have their limits, um, is what I would say. So don't take this as a, as an encouragement to just, you know, if, if do what you feel. Um, I, I think this is more of an encouragement of, you know, do, let's do our best work and support one another in a loving way. Um, but being conscientious and mindful of, of being practical in, in scenarios, um, and feeling supportive and supported in those situations where we really felt like we were justified for reasons of safety, um, for, for not maybe meeting policy to its T in some scenarios. Well, as I, you know, I'm sitting here thinking about some of the things that you and I have walked through in, with different patient situations. And I, I, I know when we'll get into situations, things get elevated. We're dealing with outside agencies. We're talking to things like Adult Protective Services. We're navigating things with the judge. I mean, lots of stuff 
elevate up. And I, I just want to acknowledge that from our caregiver standpoint, um, man, it's got to be frustrating to be like, hey, I've, I have told you all that this is an, an issue. What are you guys doing about this? And you're not hearing me. And I, I think those are the points of tension for me where it's like, and I, I do hear you, but this thing is complicated and finding the right place for this patient. I mean, in a lot of ways, it magnifies a gap in healthcare where hospitals have become a backstop, and that's a different podcast. Um, but we have so many caregivers doing this really well. I mean, all the things that you're talking about. And I can think of a couple situations where uh, maybe in an initial part of a patient's visit and we're navigating stuff and going, man, this is going to be a problem. And the love that our caregivers have really shown these patients, that in itself has de-escalated mm-hmm. situations and where we've turned things around. Um, and I know that's hard, though, like for our caregivers to be put in that spot. And I always think, man, just in my head, I'm thinking, and that's that's probably not what these folks thought they signed up for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have people doing that every day that are adjusting to the reality of that situation and, and knowing that I'm healing this person as a ministry of Jesus through all aspects of, of care and that de-escalating that situation and getting that patient to the right place so that we can in turn get them to their next place uh, is just as important of taking care of a joint post-op, right? Mm-hmm. And But I think that is a, that's got to be a hard just mindset to, to, to maybe get into. So I, um, you can talk on that or we can wrap up. That giving you that option is, I don't even know why I give you that option, because if I give you an option to to talk or wrap up, I mean, Chris, I know what Chris, you're looking they, at Daniel, <laughs> but I got something to say yeah, about okay. that. I know, hey, hey, you know, I've always got something to say. So I think that's super duper important for two reasons. One, um, I think we are uniquely um, positioned to um, have strategies that other people don't have for de-escalation. And so when really tough scenarios that sort of bubble up get to my um, my my phone, my door, um, one of the first questions I always have is, who all's been there so far? Um, and so, you know, you've got your, your direct caregivers. But I also want to know if we've availed ourselves of some of the resources we have that others don't, like spiritual care. Because I think we have... Um, available to us sort of loving strategies and, and places of, of connecting to people who are in a highly emotional state um, in ways that are unique to us as an organization. And that we can't, I don't take that lightly and nobody should. Um, and the second thing that I think you raise is a really good one. There are a lot of frustrating situations in healthcare that are, you know, sort of bubble up and then they reveal these gaps where um, the the policymakers, um, the law hasn't contemplated that or hasn't taken care of that that scenario for us. And so that's frustrating, right? Um, there's not always a quick legal answer, a quick legal fix to things. And that's frustrating on a human level, like to think, why? Why haven't um, our legislators or our policymakers thought about that as a practical reality and why aren't they doing something about that? That's, I think, important 
that we, first of all, hear the caregiver and tell them, we hear you. Um, and we know that's frustrating. And we love and support you in that effort to to make this right. Um, and the other thing, too, is I think where where we can help them and support them is that sometimes there isn't a quick legal answer, but I'm not giving up on that. Sometimes what I can help with is a creative solution to a really hard problem. And so I think that's true of all disciplines. Sometimes it's not a medicine that's going to make it better, but you're still going to have a clinician who can come up with a creative solution. Same thing here. I think you're going to have people who want to make difficult situations better, and there may not be a medical answer or a legal answer readily available, but let's put our, our heads together together, our collective efforts together and and make this, you know, try to come up with a solution. And if that doesn't work, try to come up with another solution. Um, and, and I think just, you know, on a very human level, just saying to that caregiver who's in that moment doing that hard work, like you said, they didn't, they didn't sign up for this. We hear you. We see you. We know we can see the extraordinary efforts that you're making and um, we're, we're there with you. And we're, we're also trying to think of ways to make it easier on you too. I think as we wrap this topic up, uh, just, just for all the listeners, listeners out there, Chris and I looked at each other and was like, Oh, please don't make me do this. You know? <laughs> so I, I'm going to talk first so I can pass it over to him. But, um, Lindsay, thank you so much for, for coming in and helping us wrap this up. You, you're right. Every situation's different. And, and we are highly engaged to coming up with a just-in-time solution mm -hmm. for every situation. And when we fail to come up with solutions because we're either unaware or, or it escalated too fast, we want to be here to help heal you. Mm -hmm. And we want to acknowledge the stress and pain that you went through because of that situation. And I don't know if there's a be better way to wrap this up than just be authentic in mm. um, the vulnerability that, that we have as an organization, the vulnerability that you experience as a caregiver when it happens to you. And, um, you know, our, our, our goal is to make sure that you have a, a place um, where you can say, hey, I feel uncomfortable about this right now and I need some help so we can work on de-escalation um, in, in the now as an organization, as a team, as, you know, just a bunch of humans. Um, and so I, I appreciate you um, advocating for that and f for us to use our resources. If, if there's a class available and you don't really feel like, well, I'm, this is going to be pertinent to me, go take the class because it's a life skill, you know, and, and life skills, anytime you have an opportunity to kind of sharpen a life skill, go get it. So again, thanks for, for coming on the podcast and talking about um, one of the, or the most difficult topic that we, we've really dealt with so far. It's been, been pretty light on the podcast, but um, you know, this workplace violence um, series is, is hopefully going to be, be out there for a lot of people to hear, to know that we do see you. We do hear yeah. you. Lindsay, thanks for all that you do for this organization and for our caregivers and, and patients. Well, thanks, Chris and Daniel, for letting me come on. I know I had to beat you into submission to, to get on this podcast <laughs> and then I had to talk about workplace violence to get on here, but I appreciate yeah. it. If, if you had one thing you wanted to talk about on the podcast, I just want to know what the topic was. Oh, man, you know. Probably not workplace violence, though. No, I mean, <laughs> an important topic. Uh, so I'm glad to be here and be part of it. What would I want to talk about, man? Um, 
I don't know. Um, you know, not making meetings before eight thirty a.m. for working moms. That's a that's a pretty good one. <laughs> that's, that's not bad. That's solid. That's solid. Yeah. All right. Well, when we when we do that, we will uh, we'll have you back. Hey, no wet hair, no makeup. <laughs> I'm here for it. Uh, hey, thank you guys for listening. Uh, thank you for uh, giving us an opportunity to connect with purpose. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Connecting with Purpose podcast at Covenant Health with Chris and Daniel. Be sure to catch our next episode and please share this with your fellow caregivers.